Robins on the Wire, a Bristol Post podcast with Michelle Owen and Bristol City reporter Gregor McGregor. Welcome along to Robins on the Wire with myself, Michelle Owen, and Gregor McGregor ahead of a bumper Easter weekend of football. It's a big one this weekend uh, for Bristol City, a possible six points on offer, and we'll discuss that shortly. But we're going to have to start with what happened at the weekend. We were both there at the Villa game, Gregor. Wow. It was a thoroughly entertaining game. Even if it had finished nil-nil, I think at half-time it had been a brilliant game so far, hadn't it? <sighs> What's your reaction to what happened now? Having seen the replays, having seen it all back, Bristol City were hard done by, weren't they? They were, in terms of the referee, I thought, like everybody, I thought the referee was pretty atrocious. I was thinking to myself, going along, this isn't the sort of referee who's going to give too many decisions to the away team, in my opinion. And then, yeah, the, the penalty was never a penalty, let's, let's be honest. Uh, it's, it's a real slap in the face, I'm sure we're going to come on to this, about the uh, FA charge that Bristol City have since had. And, yeah, I mean... Bristol City, don't get me wrong, I actually thought played very badly in the game. I was a bit surprised. You thought they played really badly? Yeah, I do. And um, uh, you know how I love the XG stats. The XG tells a huge story. It was 0.5 to 4.6, which means it should have been around a 5-0 game on average from the chances Villa had. And if you... Think about those chances Conor Hurahan oh, had. Max then, O'Leary, oh, Max yeah. O'Leary was outstanding. But take Max out of the equation. Yeah. And yeah, they could have easily won by three or four goals. I was really surprised. I don't do this very often. I think Lee Johnson's got so much right this season. But I don't think he got it right against Villa. I, didn't, I don't know why he went away from the three at the back system, which has been so good, mm. especially on the road at the big boys, mm. Middlesbrough and um, Sheffield United. I thought he'd stick with it. Very surprised he didn't, and I think that probably played a, played a part in why Villa was so dominant, especially second half. But as I say, the head coach has got so much right this season, so that's just one minor speck on the horizon. But also the substitution in the second half, I think he changed formation, didn't he? Because he brought on Baker for Taylor. He was bringing on a defender for a striker, and I think mm-hmm. a few eyebrows were raised at that when they were training. Yeah, yeah, I mean, sometimes it's about changing shape. And um, I know Lee has obviously said before, that it doesn't really matter whether you play three or four at the back and and because uh, ultimately everybody's got their defensive responsibilities and they, they don't change necessarily too much mm. um, depending on who's on the pitch. But I, th- I think some results have kind of indicated that. And I, yeah, I think he got it wrong in that game. But as I say, he's got it so right in other games, especially recently so um yeah no, no big worries there and um it, I, I think they're gonna have to win against reading yeah on friday but yeah. they're still in a wonderful position yeah i mean going to villa park and getting three points was always a big ask and villa played well on the day and they created so many chances we're going to hear from max o'leary shortly uh, by far bristol city's man of the match and a real sort of coming of age performance for him as well um but when you look back at that match there were missed opportunities Matty Taylor missing that header is that missed header now going to cost him his place for Friday possibly I mean that's the thing with the team selection for the Villa game obviously he got Matty Taylor brought Matty Taylor back in who let's let's be honest was really really maybe it was tough to leave him out of the game before the win obviously against West Brom and yes, Andreas Weiman has probably been the form guy four goals in the last four games and that assist as well. So and why so why did he put Weiman out wide and stick Matty Taylor then? I don't understand. I guess it's just because he felt that Matty deserved to play and Matty did deserve to he play. Did, yeah. So yeah, you're right, he probably should have scored that chance. It was a great opportunity. 
And of course, probably to be fair to Lee, you would point out, hey, if if uh, Andreas Weimann's goal in inverted yeah. commas goes in, then it is a different game. And it is three goals now that Weimann has uh, had yeah, his wiped His would be so much better if... Yeah, if, if he'd not. got those three extra ones. And it's harsh. It's really harsh on the Robins. And you do need things like that to go your way when you're going to Villa Park. I just, I just think Villa has scored the most home goals yeah. in the league. So... I just think maybe they needed to be a little bit set up a little bit more defensively with either three at the back or there's different ways you can do do things. Maybe they went a little bit too attacking and okay, fair enough. You can say on another day maybe that that they might have got the win from being brave and I mean sort of looking at it that way. Like this is a, a far removed example, but Mauricio Pochettino last night with Tottenham has gone with a very attacking lineup and mm-hmm. he's and he's got a result at Manchester City. So yeah. Maybe it doesn't all come down to tactics. I'm not suggesting that is the be-all and end-all. But, um, yeah, maybe the three at the back would have helped a bit more in that circumstance. And as we say, the referee was pretty atrocious. Yeah, we'll come on to the referee in just a second. But before we do, um, something that caught my eye was Lee Johnson talking about the um, having two two ends that Villa had of support. And now we start talking about this for Bristol City and uh, already against Derby the away capacity has been reduced so more home supporters can be in the Atio. Do you think away supporters should be moved at Ashton Gate? Do you think Lee Johnson's got a point? Yeah, it's a good question. And, and yeah, I think Lee Johnson, what I know, obviously, he's got this tremendous attention to detail and he, I'm sure he will have given this some real thought and, yeah, definitely a, a very valid um, question to ask, can they move the away fans? I spoke to a few fans during the week myself about this, in, in particular two supporters groups, and I want to give um, say thank you to both Section 82 and um, Stu Rogers of the Sporters Club and Trust, who both um, provided their comments on the situation. And basically, it seems to be that from every fan I've seen, and I know that there was a, a poll run on uh, one of the City Facebook groups as well, everybody seems to be in favour of it, really. And yeah, they're, they're kind of going that direction, aren't Why they? Would you with put a, them? With the Derby one. Well, when I was speaking to the fans, of course, this isn't a new thing, apparently. And it was considered when they redeveloped Ashton Gate. Yeah. Apparently there was some discussion about maybe putting them up the top of the Dolman, maybe on the left or the right-hand side. Sorry, top of the Lansdowne, up, yeah. the, up the left or right-hand side. Or, yeah, controversially in the Dolman. But, and this was sort of comes about from speaking to fans... Obviously, it's a very difficult situation because you don't want to be rerouting season card holders who yeah. maybe have been sat there for years on years. Mm. And that kind of leads into sort of um, what we what we had last year when, they, when the club obviously rearranged their seating to some extent. So, yeah, maybe the club needs a bit of stability on that front. But at the same time, it's maybe something to think about for sure. Because Especially when it hasn't been. There's been times when the atmosphere has been great down Ashton Gate, but it's something that could be done to improve the atmosphere, isn't it? It is, and I think Lee's probably got a point that when that full end is packed, full of like Leeds, fan, Leeds fans like it was the other weekend or Swansea fans, then it maybe does give a bit of a boost to the opposition. Oh, yeah. And yeah, I, I don't know if you saw the stats, but there were some guys online who'd worked out that there's been a lot more goals scored at the South Stand, sort of like two-thirds to one-third um, okay. goals scored at the South Stand end for both teams, home and away, compared to the Atio End. I don't know if wow. that's because the away fans are there. Mm. Maybe it has an effect, maybe it doesn't, who knows. But um, if Lee feels that it's going to have a, a positive influence on results, then 
maybe the club have got to consider it. Mm, we shall see if anything happens over summer. I waited a long time to speak to Lee Johnson after the, the Villa game on Saturday. Probably the longest I've ever waited for him. And I know you were waiting as well, Gregor, because he was in with the officials. Uh, Gregor spoke to Dean Holden this week as well. And, and Dean spoke about those FA charges and spoke ahead of the weekend against Reading too. What are your thoughts on the uh, Villa game now? Do you look at stats like the XG and things like that after a match? Yeah, of course we do. Yeah, we've got all that detail if we, if we want to use it. Yeah, we watch the game back and we have our own opinions, physical stats we look at as well. So, um, I thought the first half we were very good without having that cutting edge. Goal chalked off or offside, which has been proved probably wasn't. Um, very good chance with Matty Taylor as well and one, and one with Fam as well. So, I mean, they're small margins in big games like that. You know, if you get that first goal away to Aston Villa with a 42,000, I think was there in the, in the stadium, it, it changes. You know, the the second half, um, they were better than us, second half. Um, they got in behind us, we were probably a little bit loose without the ball and, and loose with the ball as well at times and turned over possession. Probably a, bit, a little bit more than, we, than we've become used to recently. And um, overall, even late in the game, we still had chances to get back in it. Obviously, Max has made some incredible saves throughout the game. Um, but we take it on the chin, we move on. We've got two fantastic games in such a short space of time coming up now and we have to focus on them. And referee Scott Duncan, are you able to say what your caution was for? Do you, do you know? No, no. Um, I know initially when the Vyman's goal was, was wrongly given for, for offside, I, you know, I told the linesman that. And I was warned by the fourth official to sit down, otherwise I'm risking a, a yellow card. So I did exactly that, sat down. And um, a couple of minutes later, he'd, the ref came over and no, I have no knowledge at all as to why. But it's been a, been a while since I got a yellow card brandished. I've got, I've got to be honest, I think... Um, and obviously then Mackey got one, you know, shortly after and it became a bit of a pantomime, I think. I think fans pay, come to pay money to, to watch the, the game played on the pitch, not for the referee to stop it and come and give yellow cards. But they're the rules, they have to follow them. And um, as I say, we take it on the chin. Um, I make that the seventh of the season for Bristol City's bench, equal with Crawley Town as the uh, most booked bench in uh, benches in football. Uh, is that something to look at, was it? No, I don't, no, I don't, no, no. I think we. It's important to be respectful to the to the officials, of course. And you know, I've I've done the referees course myself. I know how hard it is. It really is. And um, there's going to be human error involved. But at the same time, we're chasing the Premier League, and there's a lot of passion, and a lot of emotion in there. So I know the gaffer's a big advocate of, of VAR, and you know, Vyman, for instance, has been on the wrong end of three goals already this season. Charts off. At the same time, Tammy Abraham goes through first half, uh, second half, and, and slightly onside, given offside. So you know we've been on the right side of some of the decisions as well. It's not sour grapes. It's just I think, you know, um, going forward there might be something they could look at. I know the gaffer had a, a long conversation yesterday with the, the match officials association, and you know they apologised for a couple of the decisions that went against us at the weekend. Um, unfortunately, it's too late for that. But as I say, it's human error. We move on. Um, how's the squad looking for Friday? We're pretty solid. I mean, Callum O'Dowd is back back out on the grass with this morning with the physios, and that, that that's looking good for him. He's back, you know, he's, he's out of the treatment room, and, and he's, you know, he's maintaining his fitness now, and, and hopefully pushing for a for a recall to the squad pretty soon. I think Mike was due back pretty soon as well. And uh, apart from Frankie Fielding, I think we're uh, you know we're quite strong. Corey trained today, trained well. I mean, it's uh, we've talked about the squad for a while now, Greg, aren't we? And you know, this weekend now, this Easter weekend, he's 
know, two games coming up in such a short space of time, it's uh, it's all on now, isn't it? And we've got to make sure that every player in the squad is, is ready to play. OK, fighting talk ahead of the weekend. Everyone's ready. Um, just going back to those FA charges, Dean Holden says he doesn't know why he was charged. It's bizarre. Yeah. Um, obviously, he got the wrong side of referee Scott Duncan, closely followed by Jamie McAllister. And I did point out to Dean, obviously, in the pre-match presser that... By my reckoning, Bristol City have now got the most cautioned dugout in the, in the four divisions. Mm. Uh, only Crawley Town have got seven um, cautions this season from their bench, I believe. And obviously Lee's leading the way there with four and Jamie's got a bit to go and, <laughs> and Dean's only got the one there. But yeah, I don't know. Is that a major problem? Well, it probably isn't, to be fair, is it? And it's it, passion. It is passion. I, I wonder as well if it is just a sign of the frustration with... Yeah, I had a few bad decisions to go against them, but what I would say is you can't forget the decisions Bristol City have had for them. That penalty against QPR was never a penalty. Yeah, absolutely. It's swings and roundabouts. It's yes, I've seen a few QPR fans say that, and absolutely, you have to take both sides of it. Do, do you think Bristol City have been on more bad decisions than benefited from them? I think so. I mean... You're going to ask me now about some of those decisions. Uh, I can't recall loads offhand, so maybe maybe I'm doing a bit of in, giving a bit of injustice towards the, the referees. But what I do know is that obviously Lee explained last season that he'd had several letters from the referees' association, um, basically apologising. Well, quite amazing, Dean Holden there saying that they'd apologise. Yeah, and doesn't make it better though, does it? No, exactly. And I, I do think they have a point there. Do, they, do we need VAR in the championship? Yes. I, Absolutely. I, I'll tell you this, Tazian. I know for a fact that Lee Johnson is a big. Um, yeah, he said after the VAR. game he was. I, I, I 100% think we need VAR in the Championship. I know the Premier League's getting it next season, but how long until the Championship gets it? What is absolutely mind boggling is they've decided not to use it in the playoff final. At a game worth so much money, with so much riding on it, why would you not use VAR? I know, just. If VAR is there and mm. works, why don't you use it? Because it all makes. Almost makes it look like, oh, there's something wrong with VAR, we won't use it. I think the argument from their side is, from the EFL side, is that they haven't used it up to this point. So but that doesn't be, matter because... To be consistent. This is a one-off matter. game. Yeah, I, I I think there's enough grounds for them to, to say that, yeah, this is such an important game, it's worth what... Isn't something. it like the richest game in yeah. world football? Well, the Times, Times were reporting it was going to be worth around £180 million. Yeah. Pounds. That's over... That's... That's if you get promoted and then relegated uh, the season it's after. Just, it's just, it's madness not to use VAR. Absolute mm. madness. And, and how long till the Championship gets it? Because the Championship, you know, is probably, what, the fourth biggest league in the world? You'd say you've probably got the Premier League, La Liga, would you say maybe Syria, and then yeah, it's, to the Championship, it's, it's would you say that's well, fair? Lee sometimes cites the Championship as the, as the fifth uh, it, best we, in the world, but I'm not too sure. Who did you put ahead of the... Who do you put ahead? Just just off topic for, on a tangent then. So you got the Premier League, La Liga, Syria. Norwegian second of it. No, <laughs> uh, Bundesliga's got oh, the Oh, the Bundesliga, yeah. Yeah, uh, La Liga, Bundesliga, Syria for me. La Liga. Ligue 1, maybe, mm. I don't know. You think Ligue 1's better than Championship? Take out PSG and it might be a bit close, but... Okay, but yeah, for argument's sake, mm. sake, you know, the fifth biggest league in the world mm. doesn't have VAR. Yes, it's it's crazy and it's, it's got to be something that's addressed. And I think there's a lot of frustration at the moment with the EFL. It's interesting that obviously Sean Harvey, the head of the EFL, is is moving on, isn't he, at the end of this season. So maybe there's a bit of a political, what's the word, um, sort of... Um, upheaval? 
Yeah, and yeah, a bit of positioning maybe by some clubs and that there's maybe a few um, opportunities that will arise and, and and maybe a few changes to come in the longer term. Well, let's uh, take some positives from the Villa game and one of those is Max O'Leary. Absolutely fantastic. Him and Conor Horan seem to be having a battle in themselves, didn't they? Yeah, absolutely. And I was thinking back to earlier this season when he made his league debut against Brentford and I gave him a really high score in my match um, ratings afterwards and people were like, he was never that good. And I don't think those people were there at the match and realised actually he was really that good. And I think it's been forgotten, he was named in the EFL team of the week then. Well, yeah, you discussed that here with him um, because Grover had an extended chat with Max O'Leary. Uh, this week and we're going to play it to you in full because we don't often get to hear from Bristol City players at such length so um, here's Max O'Leary and we'll discuss this after So um, quite a season for yourself how are you finding it being involved in the senior team and playing at championship level? Yeah it's really good Um, obviously I thought I might have been on loan at the beginning of the year but um, things have happened and I've been involved so now it's good to be finally playing some games as well which is nice Amazing game at the weekend against Aston Villa. Some nine saves, I think, in total. Any of those in particular your your best one? Uh, it's hard to say your favourite save or whatever. Um, I haven't actually watched too much of it back. Um, and probably the one of the early ones to keep it nil nil was probably be one of my favourites. Yeah, some amazing <laughs> stops from uh, Connor Hurahan at times. Uh, some cat-like re- reflexes, I think, almost uh, to keep those keep those out how, how have you got reflexes as, as sharp as that do you have to do any specific training or anything um, to work on those kind of like instant saves from close range um, we don't do too much specific sort of training like that we do a lot of um, game specific training based on what the uh, the opposition's like so we'll watch the video and um, Colsey the goalkeeper coach come up with a plan and set a session up based around what uh, they're about so um, a lot of it's to do with the opposition um, and obviously what you're going to come up against in the game Yeah I was going to ask you about Colsey and obviously he's got that book on goalkeeping has he um, ever made you read that one? <laughs> no I haven't read it and he's got a few videos out as well which he's uh, he's sent me clips of which uh, uh, a while ago now but um, yeah no he's a he's a great coach and he's really helped me develop over the last few years uh, whether that's being out on loan and coming back and training here uh, in Bristol. Um, no, he's a, he's a big influence in what I do, uh, both on and off the pitch at the moment. And obviously, EFL Team of the Week this week, but I believe you were in as well after the Brentford game earlier this season as well, so that's not too bad. Two appearances in, what, ten league appearances this season or something? Yeah, no, obviously it, it is nice, but uh, it doesn't take away the fact that we uh, didn't come away with... Uh, a point or three um, but yeah on a personal note obviously it's nice just wanted to ask you about your path to the first team then so obviously obviously you've come through the academy here um, I, I watched you a bit actually when you were down at Bath City as well and um, I was going to ask you about your time at Kidderminster Harriers as well um, yeah. which has maybe been the most formative um, experience for you maybe down at Kidderminster Bath or even Solihull with um, Tim Flowers I only played a few games really at uh, Kidderminster I think it was five or six in the end then end up having to come and cover Frankie uh, towards the end of the year. Um, but Bath was a great experience for me. It's my first proper full stint at uh, men's football. I played 40-odd uh, games, so that was great to get that full season um, under my belt almost, um, which uh, is what you need, I guess, when you're younger. You need to just play games. So Was that under Gary 
Yeah, that was with yeah. Garriars, yeah. So went there a um, couple of games into the season and then played throughout. So no, it, was a, it was a good experience. I remember, I think you had an amazing record of saving penalties or something while you were there as well. Was that, <laughs> was that right? Was I saved a few, yeah. But um, not, not too many, just a couple. And what about under Tim Flowers at Solihull? I'm, I'm a bit older, I think, than these guys, and they might not remember Tim Flowers as being a, a brilliant goalkeeper in the Premier League, but, but he's some guy to learn from, I would guess, as well. Yeah, he was doing, obviously, a lot of the uh, outfield players um, coaching. He was assistant coach at the time, Mark, uh, Mark Yates, in charge. Um, but he did, take, he did take training and stuff with us um, a bit, which was nice. He was a great person to draw experience from and obviously you know he's been there and done it um so to get his opinion or advice was um second to none for me really and did, didn't he text you or something before the brentford game is that right to offer you good luck or something yeah no he did text me yeah um gary did as well gary i was so it was nice for those two to to give me a text nice one and just on uh your current head coach then me johnson when i've sort of mentioned to him about goalkeepers he sort of said that he's looking for a spiritual leader as a goalkeeper as he mentioned Adriano Basso and the likes of that to you at all uh he, sp- he spoke to me about being a leader and um stepping into that uh more of a leader role um which is obviously what you want from starting from the back and bringing it all the way through but no no mention of not as much mention of Basso to me he has he has said it before but um yeah it's it's something that I want to try and improve and uh, bring to bring to my game. Do you have any goalkeeping idols yourself that you look up to or that you'd like to emulate at all? Um, not not the current current time, but like when I was growing up, obviously you had the likes of Petr Cech was in the uh, at the top of his game. Um, people like Pepe Reina, even like Bartes. I was uh, a Man United fan. When I was younger, so he was one of those. He was a bit of a. He was a bit different to everyone else and did stuff which you didn't really see. Um, but that sort of era was my uh, goalkeepers that I grew up with, um, the Petrchecks, um, Rain, and people like that. So yeah. those, those are two. Just uh, finally, there's there's a quite a good competition, I guess, there at the moment. Obviously, with Nicky and, and Frank when they're fit, and yourself. Yeah, no, it's uh, it was. It's always competitive in a goalkeeping environment. You work with each other every day for um, in quite an isolated sort of area. So it is good to have competition. It's healthy for every um, position, really. Uh, I've grown grown up with Jojo in the same age group uh, for the last, since we were probably 14. So I've always had that rivalry with him, that competition. But we're good mates and we get on really well. So it's healthy to have that competition in it makes you want to get better. Great stuff and good luck with writing. Cheers, thank you. Max O'Leary, uh, 22 eloquently and you sort of felt that Villa game was a coming of age game for him, didn't you, Gregor? And if Nicky Mindpar is back fit in the next couple of weeks, Max O'Leary has to keep the shirt. He does. Got a lot, got to admit, um, I've got a lot of love for Max because obviously he was on loan at Bath City for a lot and I've said this before, I'm bit of a, a Bath City fan and was watching the Romans for a few years before I started this job and yeah Max was one of the guys I watched down there I've seen Antoine Semenyo playing down there there's a on loan guy James Morton who's done very well for the last couple of seasons there Freddie Hines as well playing down there at the moment uh, long affiliation with Bristol City and yeah Max had an amazing penalty saving record actually when he was at Bath City he saved something like six or seven penalties in a row um 
might need to check that. But it was it was it was something incredible. And yeah, as I say, he was outstanding. I thought at Brentford earlier this season. That's been a little bit forgotten. He's gone back out of the team. Yeah, I felt, I felt, I felt it was unfair when he was dropped. Yeah, and then he's... But you, com- but you can understand why, because he wants to for the experience. Yeah, and he's come back in and he's been brilliant. Yeah, he, he really is a, a class act, a real bonus. Yet another guy who's come from the Bristol City Academy. And this another is a, one. Yeah, yeah, off the back of Lloyd Kelly, obviously, and Antoine Semenyo, who was brilliant up at Preston still. And would be surprised if he's not involved again this season. But... Yeah, another bright portent for um, Bristol City's future. Lots of promising young players, but you do wonder what's happened to a few of them and and some signings from summer who we just haven't seen. I thought it was worth bringing up. Uh, Hakeem, Adelikan and Mo Isa, where are they? Well, they played the other night in in the under-23s against Birmingham. It's, It's a funny stage of the season now because... Basically, yeah, these guys maybe maybe would have been playing behind closed doors games, but they're not. They're playing at under-23s level and everybody is playing really sort of senior um, level sides at under-23s mm. level because everybody has got that fear factor that if you lose a player from um, to injury, you've got to have a replacement who's ready to step in and is match fit straight away. Mm. So what we're seeing, obviously, is Marley Watkins, Mo, Hakeem, Liam Walsh. Walsh, yeah, all these guys being involved <laughs> at that level. And the good thing is they're all pushing, yeah, for inclusion. I think Liam was on the bench the other day for Villa. Yes, he was first time in a while. Yeah, and he scored in he scored in uh, the Monday game for the under twenty threes. I saw, uh, well, I saw Moisa smash the woodwork twice in the game against it was that against Coventry the week before. Uh, I think uh, Hakeem, yeah, Hakeem scored in that one as well. Uh, we haven't so, Hakeem Bedelikan has he played? For for the first for the yeah. senior side, yeah, he has, but he's he only play? been. Um, I can't even spring. remember. <laughs> Must have been way back, it, it, start of the season. Yes, uh, I genuinely do not recall seeing Hakiba Delican in okay. a Bristol City shirt this season, and I guess he was one that was brought in from a League One side, Scunthorpe, wasn't it? Yeah, and was talked about warmly by Lee Johnson. How many uh, starts did he made then? It's three starts and two. Yeah, another two. When were, when were those three starts? Stoke in the home loss. Uh, also Ipswich in the away game. Yes, the away game. Sorry, and obvious, and also Leeds at, in the away game as well. So uh, quite a while ago then. Yeah, tough, tough, tough fixtures for him. Yeah, to be, very, to tough, very to be, tough. To be fair, and obviously only the Stoke one was a win there. Uh, Two, uh, sorry. The Leeds one was the only loss there. Uh, Ipswich and Stoke wins. Um, he's also... But he's not going to uproot someone like Nicholas Eliasson or Jamie Patterson uh, or Andreas Feynman at the moment, is he? No, he's not. I mean, we're going to have to be patient with him and Mo as well. But I think it does, again, show the strength and depth. Loan moves there. in summer for them? I think so, yeah. I think there's a good chance Mo will probably have to go out on loan and maybe prove himself Again, elsewhere. Yeah. Do uh, written about this recently, do you fully expect Bristol City to bring in a goalkeeper and a striker in the summer? And uh, yeah, I, I think Frank Fielding, there's a chance he might move on and yeah, they're going to look to bring in a, a good striker and that'll probably mean that Mo goes out goes on out loan. Goes out on loan, yeah. Uh, Reading this weekend, uh, only three defeats in 14 games for a side that's languishing near the bottom of the Championship table. Very impressive. New bosses, Jose Gomez. Um, what do we think of Reading? What do we think is going to happen? And why is it these games, to me, that Bristol City struggling sometimes, like the Ipswich one? They do. I think it's going to be tough. I, I honestly think this is must-win, this match, because 
with four games left after this, three of them away from home, three difficult games away from home. I mean, look at Millwall. That's probably the, what you'd maybe say on paper is the easiest of those three. And I don't think that's going to be no. easy. I, I remember that's the game. a horrible place to go. Yeah, the game last season at the Den there. And yeah, a horrible atmosphere. And yeah, it's a really tough game. It's going to be difficult. Again, Millwall need points as well for survival. So... Sheffield Wednesday up next, oh, yeah, it, it's just going to be tough. I, I think they've got to win, but if they do win, then yeah, they're going to be they could could really take a grip on the top six, and they probably give themselves a shot that if they beat Derby at home, then then that's going to be close to being enough. Yeah, I would say if they beat Sheffield Wednesday and Reading this weekend, they're going they're going to make the playoffs. But the thing is, why is it a midday kickoff? Don't know, to be honest, on that. Um, Bristol Bears aren't playing at home this weekend, so it's not to do with that. It's very odd. Yeah, I... Something to do with TV? No, and I don't have an answer. But the good thing... them? Well, it could could be a good thing. Because they play first. Yeah, if they can get the win on the board, and I think most managers do prefer to play first, because then if you get the win on the board, it really puts the pressure on Mm. Middlesbrough and Derby. And just to throw into this... I personally think they need three wins from the last five games. Yeah, so, I would agree with that. Um, and if they get a result against Derby, that should see off Derby. But what about Borough? But Borough are the team I'm worried about because they seem to, they for me... they started picking up wins. Yeah, they've just turned the corner and also looking at their fixtures, I think I, I could see them getting three or four wins from the, yeah, from the last Yeah, yeah, they've so. got Stoke. Stoke later on the Forest. Friday. Yep. Yeah. Reading and Rotherham. I mean, you expect them to beat Rotherham, and on the last day, Bristol you have to go to Hull. I mean, that's mm. tough. Exactly, exactly. So, I've got to admit, I think Borough are the ones to worry about. But if Bristol City can beat Reading, then yeah, they can pile the pressure on Middlesbrough. And you never know; they might only draw at home to mm. Stoke. So, what about Sheffield Wednesday on Monday? Uh, Steve Bruce has been out there for a little while now. Um, they had a few results not really go. Their way, which has seen them slip out of contention really for the playoffs. They lost to Leeds last weekend but they did thrash Forest 3-0 before that so to go to Sheffield Wednesday and get a point if they got four points from this weekend that would be a pretty cushy little tidy over until the Derby game wouldn't it? Yeah I I agree I think it's going to be tough up there and yeah as you say their form has been patchy I mean lost to Leeds as you say but being Forest at home but lost to Villa at home is it a good time to play them? Well, I don't know. It's going to stretch everybody's squads, isn't it, playing within mm. sort of three days. Maybe Bristol City will benefit from that because I think that has been one of their strengths this season. You, mm. I don't expect, obviously, Taylor and Vyman maybe to play together. Casey Palmer deserves a start. Mm. Um, still got the likes of Jamie Patterson to come in and maybe have an effect. Nicholas Eliasson deserves some a, a regular run in the team. So, yeah, they've got options there. It's maybe the one for me is the wing backs because for me they've they've really got to play most games, and uh, and it's where you you know it's the most energy sapping position. It is, yeah. Maybe De Silva and Hunt need a bit of a rest. Maybe you might look to play four at the back at some game. And Will Kelly come back in. Yeah, and maybe Pisano the other side. So or Bailey Wright. So you feel quite comfortable there, wouldn't you? You know, if Jack Hunt was dropped for Pisano, but do you feel as comfortable with Jada Silva being dropped? for Lloyd Kelly because you feel that Lloyd Kelly has a bit of an error in him this season I do yeah I, especially if you're going to play him left wing back because he's going to be a bit further up the pitch and I actually so think, you'd be happier with him at left wing yeah, back yeah I, I would I'm not saying for the for this whole season but yeah Lloyd's proven that he can 
he can play any game and against any opposition. Maybe he hasn't been quite as consistent as we might have hoped, but he has been really classed at the beginning of this campaign, which has been forgotten a little bit about. Mm. He's obviously he does bring different attributes to the game than Jay. Obviously, he's more of a threat in the air, and he can defend aerial balls a little bit better. I also think sometimes his crossing is a little bit better than Jay's. So yeah, I, I would be happy to give him a run out personally myself, and uh, yeah, I I think for me actually it's the other side. I I'm not sure that Eros can play uh, up and down the right flank as as much as, as well as as well as Jack. But yeah, if you play a four, maybe that might suit them a bit better. A lot of decisions to be made. Uh, and who would you start up top on Friday? Um, on Friday, mm. I, th- I think that is must win. So I'd go Fam and and Vyman, the two two guys in form. And who would you put out wide instead of Vyman then? I would go for Nicholas Eliasson. There's a few. Well. Basically, expecting Corey Smith back, by the way, for mm-hmm. Friday, which is a huge boost. Callum O'Dowd is out on the grass, but I don't think he'll be ready for maybe the next two games might be after that. So, yeah, probably probably uh, uh, just Eliasson and three at the back. Well, so, 4-3-3? 3-4-3. So, you'd have... That's, sorry, that's 3-4-1-2. These these formations these days blow my mind. But yeah, I know what you mean. I've got 16 players on the pitch. That's <laughs> <laughs> is why you don't do any Johnson's job. Um, well, next week, we've got a very special interview. You've been down with the under-23s, haven't you, Gruggle? With the Bristol City Academy, yeah. Brilliant um, to catch up with those guys and um, really looking forward to yeah, yeah playing a bit from that and uh, getting the story out from, from that one. Heard from Gary Probert, Gary Davenport and, and uh, David Horseman there and... Yeah, it's going to be a special little feature for next week and really excited about that. Fantastic. We'll play that to you next week. We'll be back after the Reading game and the Sheffield Wednesday game. Two huge games for the Robins. And if you're listening on iTunes, thank you for listening. Please rate and review us. Robins on the Wire.